This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Rebecca Larson. Welcome to the show. I'm Rebecca Larson, and this is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. With this podcast, I share a variety of stories from the most well-known dynasty of them all, the Tudors. From simple stories about the people of the time to the drama that was the reign of Henry VIII. And of course, politics. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by The Falcon Nest, handmade history-themed jewelry. The Falcon Nest specializes in gorgeous replicas of the famous Anne Boleyn bee necklace. Now you can see more at the-falcon-nest.com and be sure to use promo code TUDORSDYNASTY to receive 15% off. She was the daughter, sister, niece, and wife of kings. Not to mention after her death, the legacy of Elizabeth continued through her second son, Henry, and his three children, her grandchildren. In this episode, we look at the life of Elizabeth of York with special guest, historical fiction author, Samantha Wilcoxon. Welcome to the show, Samantha. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, I asked you to be on the show today to discuss Elizabeth of York, and the reason behind that is because you wrote a book about her called Plantagenet Princess, Tudor Queen. Now, can you tell us a bit about that book and what inspired you to write about Elizabeth? I decided to write about Elizabeth just because I was fascinated with the Wars of the Roses, as so many of us are, and I just thought that she was really an unsung hero, kind of always in the background. She has such an important place in in that transition between the Plantagenets and the Tudors, but nothing was really, or not much at least, was written specifically about her. So, And I thought that she would have had a really emotional journey given everything that she went through. And if anyone has read any of my books, they know that I like to put a lot of emotional things, the kind of personal point of view into it. So I was just really fascinated with her story and wanted to be able to explore her personally rather than some of the, you know, battles and kings and people that we all know more about. She was an interesting figure for sure. And I do feel like she was um, kind of forgotten. Like you said, like she should have been more in the spotlight than, um, you know, past history has given her. Right. And I mean, that's really one of her strengths. You know, she wasn't one of these people who fought for her own power or sent a bunch of people to their deaths in order to fight for her. She did kind of purposefully step back and decide that she was going to do what it took to bring peace to the kingdom. And that meant being a quieter presence. On the 11th of February, 1503, the bells of St. Paul's Cathedral tolled to announce that the Queen was dead. Elizabeth of York, daughter of the Yorkist King Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville. She died on her 37th birthday in the Tower of London. Born into the turmoil that was the Wars of the Roses, Elizabeth of York's formative years were filled with war, instability, death, and betrayal. She narrowly escaped the grasp of her kingly uncle, who stood in place of her misfortunate brothers, Edward and Richard. 
but the succession of the Lancastrian incumbent would change her fortunes for the better. In 1484, during the reign of her uncle Richard III, Elizabeth was at court for the Christmas festivities. A chronicler at the time claimed, and then scandalized, the fact that Elizabeth of York wore similar clothes to the Queen Anne Neville. Although this may seem scandalous to modern historical fiction authors, it did not necessarily mean that Elizabeth was in favor of the king. She was a royal princess, after all. Margaret Beauford, the woman who would become the queen's mother, often wore similar clothes to the queen consort for formal occasions. It was the Christmas of 1484 that Richard III chose to accept the daughters of Edward IV and Elizabeth Woodville as no longer bastards and welcome them back into the royal clutches. So we have so many people that have questions about Elizabeth because she's such an intriguing intriguing character from history. And so I called out to everybody on Facebook, on the Tudor's Dynasty Facebook page, to let me know what their questions are about Elizabeth, what they want to know. And of course, one of the first ones that came out was from George, and he wanted to know about whether or not Elizabeth was really in love with her uncle, Richard III, or was it just gossip? Well, of course, that's what we would all really love to know about Elizabeth, right? You know, did she have feelings for her uncle? Did she believe that he killed her brothers? And I I mean, and obviously, I think those two questions have to be connected because if she did believe that Richard killed her brothers, then that would have made it, I would assume, a lot harder for her to fall in love with him. She might have married him anyway to secure peace in the same way that she did Henry Tudor, but I think that there would have been a really different dynamic there if she actually believed that he had killed her brothers. And if she didn't believe that, which a lot of her actions throughout her life, I think, show that she was just as uncertain about it as we continue to be today. Um, But if she was unsure or thought he was innocent, then I think the best we can still say is maybe. I mean, there was clearly rumors going around about them. And sometimes gossip has its root in some level of truth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, did she have feelings for him? I mean, he was the king. So a lot of people have feelings for someone in that position, whether that be right or wrong. Um, and maybe she thought that that would be a good way to secure her family's what was left of her family's position i think the historical accounts differ and that's why we don't really know you know some people writing at that time thought that she was horrified by the idea that richard might want to marry her and of course we don't know that he actually did he looked to a different marriage after anne died but obviously he didn't remarry anyone um but then a uh, later after Elizabeth and all of these people were dead, a guy named George Buck came forward and said he had found an old letter of Elizabeth that um, that established that she had feelings for Richard. So whether that is true or not, it doesn't exist anymore. So we don't really know. And I think that some of the things that Elizabeth did, even up to right before she died, kind of established she was still kind of taking for the truth and maybe she just had to accept that she was never going to know 
It's such a crazy time in history, wasn't it? It is. I mean, to to imagine actually living through that and having to make decisions about, you know, who you marry and what you do with this information when, you know, we like to think that they were more certain about it than we are. And maybe she really did know for sure that her brothers had no interest in him and was perfectly happy to marry Henry Tudor. I would love to think that she was that certain and and could go forward that, you know, positively about it. But the fact that she did visit some of the places that she visited later on when she was queen, at least possibly indicate that she was still searching for the truth about her brother. Following the defeat of King Richard III at the Battle of Bosworth, Elizabeth eventually married the first Tudor king, crowned King Henry VII. King Henry waited to wed the York heiress until he had been crowned, and some believe until she proved her fertility. Now, there was Teresa on the Facebook page wanted to know um, what your take on the whole did, um, did Henry really get her pregnant before he married her? And would this have been acceptable behavior towards a princess like Elizabeth? Um, I think that that's a good question. And of course, again, I can only give an educated guess as to what I think about that. Um, Elizabeth was known for her piety. And given that and given the fact that she and Henry would not have known each other when they, I mean, they... They met and got married a little while after that. But um, the idea that they would have come together and immediately started sleeping together, um, did betrothed couples at that time have sex? Yes, we know that they did. Would that have been an appropriate way of treating Elizabeth? I would think not. I personally believe the theory that she got pregnant very quickly once they got married and that Arthur was just born a little bit early. That is one of those topics that's up for such great debate, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we just don't know. I mean, I don't believe any of the fictional accounts of her being forced or mistreated in that way. I mean, whether they might have decided mutually to you know, move to that point in their relationship before the actual wedding. I mean, they could have, but we just don't know. Right. There are just so many blank spaces in history, but that's what makes for good historical fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) By uniting their houses of Lancaster and York, formally, the Tudor dynasty sought to establish itself as the premier royal house. England's new queen would play an essential part in her country's security by providing the necessary heirs to its future. She would hardly disappoint. Nine months and one day after her wedding, she gave birth to the golden prince meant to be the first king to receive the crown by means of natural inheritance since the days of Henry VI. They called him Prince Arthur. So during this time of um, Elizabeth's life, there was you know, instability in the realm because there were pretenders who threatened to weaken the Tudor hold on the throne. And the most threatening of them, in my opinion, was Perkin Warbeck. Now, both Maya and Sandy on the Facebook page want to know how Elizabeth felt and what did she know about the man who claimed to be her brother, Richard? Yeah, and I really wish I knew too. Um, (laughs) I can tell you what I did with that 
in my novel is that I had her decide that he was probably a bastard son of her father's, but not that he was Richard, that he looked enough like her father and had her father's charm and charisma, and that she didn't doubt that he was some kind of half-brother, but also didn't feel then the need to, you know, relinquish her own position. And of course, at that point, her son's position for him, because that she didn't believe that he was Richard, but that she did think that he had a connection to her father. Now, whether that's true, I don't know, but that was the, I guess, compromise that I came up with. I think that the fact that Perkin Warbeck, you know, was executed in 1499, and then we have James Tyrell being executed for the murder of the princes in the tower in 1502, I think sort of indicates that either they weren't sure then either or that Perkin Warbeck was not Richard because if he had been then there would be no need to execute Irel for killing Richard. So um you know at the time that Irel was in the tower Elizabeth of York did visit there and she visited the tower minories where um the abbess there was related to James Tyrell and there was some other women living there with some York connections that, you know, did Elizabeth just go there for other completely unrelated reasons, or was she going there to try to talk to some of these people and find out what really went on? So it's, it's an interesting idea, but of course we don't actually know what she talked about or who she talked to, or if she really had any doubts. So, you know, it's easy for our imaginations to run wild and maybe those visits were completely innocent. So there are definitely some interesting questions there. Her character always comes off. So I don't know if the best word to use is meek, Um, but that was always the impression that I had of Elizabeth of York. When I first started learning about her was that she was kind Mm -hmm. of the quiet queen consort. Why do you Mm -hmm. think she was? Why do you think she was that Um, way? I think that she must have had just a very, naturally humble and submissive personality and maybe that came from having parents who were so different in that regard or maybe because she did grow up during a time of war and her father fighting for the crown and everything else that she'd been through you know maybe she just saw that as the best way to bring about peace that fighting hadn't brought the results people want people wanted so maybe a more peaceful look at things would would be better probably was her natural disposition but she had experienced a lot that would have made her be very careful about her decisions and which is probably a lot of why we don't know what she thought about some of these things because keeping it to herself was definitely the safer route. Well, then another person similar to Elizabeth, who also had um, a traumatic type childhood, um, was her cousin, Margaret. Mm -hmm. What kind of relationship did Elizabeth have with Margaret? So Margaret was her younger cousin and obviously the daughter of Georgia Clarence, who had been executed by Elizabeth's father. So there's there's some tragic background between them. But what records we do have indicate that there was closeness there. Um, Elizabeth tried to do what she could for Margaret and for Margaret's 
brother, Edward of Warwick, who ended up executed. Um, she, you know, sent gifts and sent him books when he was imprisoned. And little as that may sound like she did do what she could to ease his situation. And for Margaret, she was uh, married to uh, Richard Pohl. And um, in that position, he was Chamberlain to Arthur Tudor. So that was, I know some people talk about Margaret being married to someone below her station, but her station was kind of uncertain. She was daughter of a Plantagenet prince, but this is the Tudor dynasty. So that's kind of a mixed blessing there. And her father had been executed. So the fact that maybe Pole wasn't what she would have previously, that's not a previous match she would have had. It was at that point, given their position with Arthur and Catherine once they were married, it showed that Elizabeth and Henry did put a certain kind of in them. So, um, and then... Uh, Elizabeth died when Margaret was still relatively young. So Margaret went on to live into well into Henry VIII's reign. In the course of her life, Elizabeth would provide seven additional children as adornments to the Tudor tapestry. By all accounts, Elizabeth would prove herself to be a figurehead for the ideal late medieval queen. Is even suggested that through her, the Tudors earned their trademark coloring. Erasmus described her in singularity as brilliant. A Venetian report detailed Elizabeth as, quote, a very handsome woman of great ability and in conduct very able, while commenting personally on her, quote, charity and humanity. She may have even conducted some power herself from underneath of her husband's iron fist in forms of rebuking letters sent to members of the peerage. Yet despite all of her glories and characteristics, she too proved to be made of clay. Succumbing to postpartum infection following the birth of a short-lived daughter just over a week later, her distraught and notoriously thrifty husband spent lavish sums on a funeral fit for her importance In a letter to Erasmus in 1507, Prince Henry commented on the news of the death of his idol, the King of Castile, and the death of his mother. In the letter he said, The news of the death of the King of Castile, my much lamented brother, I had received with regret long before I read of it in your letter. Would that it had come much later or had been less true? For never since the death of my most dear mother has a less welcome message come to me. And to speak the truth, I was not so ready to attend to your letter as it is its singular elegance demanded, because it appeared to reopen a wound which time had begun to heal. You know, the Wars of the Roses really did a number on those families, didn't they? Yeah. It's yeah, so sometimes sad. Henry won because he was the only one left. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Samantha, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Oh, absolutely. Can you tell everybody where they can find your books, um, how they can find you on Facebook, any way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, definitely. Um, my books are all available on Amazon, both on Kindle and in paperback. And then I have a blog that is samanthawilcoxon.blogspot.com. Um, 
I have a Facebook page that's under the title Plantagenet Embers, or I think if you search for Samantha Wilcoxon, that will come up too. So, And I'll have links to all that for everybody to find you too, to make it a little bit easier. All right. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks, Samantha. Thanks for checking out the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Read more. Read more on the blog at TudorsDynasty.com. Follow Tudor's Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Tudor's Dynasty on iTunes. Thanks for listening.